Hi, welcome to the Clipper Chance Talking Tech at Singapore FinTech Festival podcast. My name is Paul Landless and I'm one of the heads of our tech group. And I'm fortunate to have a whole collection of our tech and FinTech associates from across the globe with me to talk about what were the key takeaways from the Singapore FinTech Festival that we've had this week. It's been a roller coaster. It's been an all day, um, 24 hour festival involving a whole range of speakers covering um, a whole collection of topics. We're going to try and summarize what we've heard. And let me kick off and, and talk to Jesse, Jesse Oval, who's in our New York office. Jesse, what did you find interesting about the session that you attended on, on Monday, Monday the 7th? Hi, Paul. Uh, I attended the uh, How to Get Society Back on a Speed in 2021 Perspectives from the Public and Private Sector with uh, Dan Schulman from uh, PayPal, Joe Yeo from uh, Moss, and uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Baswan Jin um, from the Economic Development Board. And uh, so this was a really interesting session. Um, you know, Dan had mentioned that that all businesses uh, are rethinking their strategy as we move into the digital economy. Um, and the pandemic has accelerated the convergence of the previously distinct world of online and offline. Uh, people had already increasingly wanted to live their financial lives online. And uh, the pandemic basically supercharged this trend by keeping everyone at home. Um, as a result, in you know, in, in in Dan's view, there's been more change in uh, the financial services industry, in particular, recently um, than in the last 50 years. Uh, in, in in Dan's view, most consumers no longer want to handle cash. Um, digital currencies are being issued by central banks. Uh, private cryptocurrencies yeah. are moving from being a speculative sort of uh, speculative investment asset class, I guess, to a, a, a widely adopted medium of exchange. And uh, kind of most importantly, digital wallet uh, super apps are uh, becoming distribution channel through which the full spectrum of um, financial services are you know, going to be delivered to, to users. Um, so in Dan's view, this is going to change the way, you know, consumers, regulators, and the financial services industry, you know, think about payments. And, and, and everyone's been talking about this cashless society. This has been a big theme this year with COVID. Did, did, did that really come out of Dan's piece in terms of how he expects society to change? Without a doubt. Uh, with 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 the I mean the, the, the pandemic's really I I think the way that, that Dan would see it is you know it 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 sort of catalyzed um, existing kind of trends that were already kind of taking place in in favor of sort of you yeah. know everything kind of moving online and the convergence of sort of offline online world really the pandemic yeah. kind of sped it up. And I want to just now move to uh, Singapore from New York and bring in. Some of our associates in our tech group in Singapore, Andrew Fu and Cedar Lowe, who, who attended what I thought was one of the standout sessions between Bill Winters at Standard Chartered Bank and, and, and Satya Nadella at Microsoft, uh, very much the fin in the tech. Um, Andrew, what did you enjoy about that session? How did that go? Hi, Paul. I thought it was a great session as well. Uh, this 
really was kicking off the Leaders series. This one was called Resilience and the Future of Digital Transformation. Right. Yeah. One, one big thing that stood out for me was the posture of learning uh, both leaders demonstrated and spoke about. So on the Microsoft front, Satya Nadella talked about how in the 90s, Microsoft was in a position where many people within uh, would think to themselves, why are we the best? Why are we market leading? And the answer often unspoken was, well, we are the most brilliant people around. And he talked about how a lot of his tenure uh, leading Microsoft has been to build what he called a learn it all culture. And he, he said that the learner always does better uh, than the know-it-all. Uh, and then for, for Bill Winters, he spoke uh, interestingly about the lessons, even uh, the ones which they should not have had to learn. But he talked about Standard Chartered learning the lesson of going back to the core of always keeping the customer center of all that you do. And, and one big lesson that both of them agreed on was the idea of a trust surplus. And both talked about whether it's uh, money or data, uh, there is a trust surplus where customers are actually quite willing uh, to part those with the likes of Microsoft and Standard Chartered, but that humility was required to learn uh, how to keep that trust surplus uh, in a healthy balance. I, I, I heard that as well, and I really like that that phrase, no, learn-it-all culture rather than a know-it-all culture that Satya Nadella talked about. He also talked about that sense of purpose. I think throughout the festival, we've seen this big theme around sustainability um, and, and, and a broader sense of data ethics and, and a sense of responsibility around these businesses and, 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 and having a clear purpose. But also, I think what Satya Nadella said around having a design thinking about the whole culture of the organization in terms of being very customer obsessed, that there's a deep listening setting for everybody in an institution. I thought that was um, really interesting. And let me just turn to Sida. Sida, how did you find the session that, uh, that Andrew covered also on Satya Nadella and, and Bill Winters? Speaking about the session itself, I, I think one of the most interesting things for me was just the way uh, in which Satya Nadella viewed uh, the evolution of, um, I think, banking services and what we would usually see as uh, disruptors within the fintech space. So I think in Singapore, at least, we've seen plenty of that recently. I think the digital banking licenses recently awarded to Grab and, and Ant, amongst others. Uh, we see that not just in Singapore, we see that, I, I guess, all over the world in insurance, uh, the use of AI, and also payment processing. And I think the way that Microsoft viewed, uh, the way that Satin and Della really viewed these things was, was quite interesting because I think he really put forward uh, a slightly different view than I think one might usually have, where he saw this as a, a natural evolution uh, rather than being disrupted to break a traditional sort of industry, but a rather natural progression based on how technology has advanced in recent years. And I think the way that he described it was, was quite interesting, I think quite relevant for us. And I think one of the things he mentioned was um, he really saw it as being a succession of three evolutionary stages. So I think the first stage that he spoke about was about computing power. And I think we see that nowadays in the prevalence of cloud and how a lot of data is hosted on, on, on public cloud platforms. And once that became commonplace and uh, 
ubiquitous. Using that uh, computing power to build troves and troves of data, and I think that leads on to the third stage, which is once you have a great deal of data, using that to build better user experiences. And I think that's where he saw issues like uh, and and these disruptors like digital banking, AI-based insurance, all of that coming in, using this data to create a better experience for their user. And, and I, I almost fell off my chair because I think he then said, you know, with all this computation around us, throwing off all this data and then throwing off opportunity in terms of analytical power and artificial intelligence, all of that would result in virtual reality and, and, and augmented reality for our banking experience, that, that somehow it would be inevitable that banking services would um, really maximize the customer experience and that we would be seeing telebanking after this year as well as virtual reality in our interaction with um, um, you know, financial services. So I thought that was, that was fascinating as a prediction because I, I think none of us expected to hear that. Um, let me now shoot to London from Singapore. I want to bring in Fadea because Fadea, you also attended a great session with Facebook, uh, Bank New Mellon and DBS looking at their thoughts on financial services next year. What did you hear from Facebook and, 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 and the other panelists um, for, for your session? Um, thanks, Paul. I think the most fascinating part of that session was to hear from David Marcus, uh, head of uh, at uh, Facebook, and to talk about the, the new re rebranded, I would say, uh, version of Libra. Uh, as we all know that uh, they are hoping to uh, issue it in January. They have applied for um, uh, regulatory authorization. They and, are, and, and it's been called DM. I think I've been joking. Exactly. DM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. DM. And the association is called DM, no longer um, a Facebook association indeed. And uh, the most in interesting part when he was asked, uh, uh, do you expect the public will have confidence and trust in, uh, in Facebook? And his response was, we don't expect an immediate uh, source of confidence from the public, but we are hoping that they will give us even the benefit of doubt. And he went to explain Interesting. the changes. Yeah, very, very much so. And he went on to explain why the public should benefit or give them the benefit of, uh, um, of the doubt. And he went to explain the changes they've made. He was saying, we took on board feedback, criticisms, uh, very seriously. We received from regulators, uh, market players. We have made changes to um, Libra or slash DM now. Um, and uh, we are uh, hoping that it's going to be in a better uh, sort of format. We think it's a gold standard in terms of compliance and anti-money laundering. We are not going to make any sacrifice in relation to those uh, and he said if we wanted we could have built in this as an additional feature of instagram or messenger and well we could not have been blamed to that extent people could have used it for cross-border or domestic transactions uh, but we wanted to make it like a proper uh, payment protocol allowing all to benefit from it Wow. Okay. And, 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 and what did you hear from BNY Mellon and DBS? 
And I think it was interesting to hear from them the sort of collaboration they are hoping to make. And there was a lot of discussion why would um, VMware like work with Facebook, which is a tech giant, a very, a very well, no, not newly created, but if we compare between the history between the two entities, there is a huge difference. And it is, I think, we live in a world where there is a need of collaboration, and it was very. Very fascinating for me to hear from uh, the speakers that there is even a need to work with competitors. We um, need to work for the benefit of, of our customers. Um, and I, th I don't think we can work on our own anymore. There is definitely I, a need for collaboration. That was a big theme, I thought, this week. Mm -hmm. I heard that repeatedly. I went to a session on digital banks and the takeaway I had was this sense of partnership and collaboration yeah. and, and, and the sense that actually as people specialize into their niche offerings and look for how to differentiate to the customers this idea that more and more partnerships and more and more collaboration will take place to have this sort of collective offering to customers that, that was a major theme more so than any other year i think it's been growing each year but very strong this year so so thank you for that I'm now going to turn to Lena Ungmark, one of my partners in Singapore, who heads up our regulatory practice. Lena, what did you make of this year's totally virtual conference? I think the first thing I'll say is how high profile some of the guests um, that we had for this year's session. I, I mean, we've always had really, really high profile attendees, uh, speakers for the past fintech festivals. But um, partly, partly I, I guess, a, a particular gift, I guess, from the pandemic is that we can now um, not only attend from you know comfort of our homes, but we also have uh, speakers joining from you know their homes from all over the world. Um, and uh, you know we had Bill Gates, and you know we had people from uh, uh, you know leaders of their countries uh, speaking at our fintech festival. So I, I felt very proud as a Singaporean um, to have all these people attend. Um, but in terms of themes, um, you know I think the first one, and, and you, again we can't um, get away from it, is that um, especially on the first day, I noticed that a lot of the sessions people were talking about the pandemic and how that has, you know, changed our lives um, in, in the short term, because obviously everyone has had to work from home, uh, use technology, um, financial institutions have had to use technology to deliver their services to clients. Um, and I think uh, people who are already in that uh, sector feel, I think, even more the urgency to ensure that, you know, they can uh, bring their services to clients, um, you know, with with technology. So I think the first theme is really about how the pandemic has has really um, put a spotlight on how important technology is in in our future. Over the years, we've been hearing, um, you know, the themes around crypto. You know, many years ago, people were talking about ICOs. Um, then people talked more about, you know, blockchain. Um, especially in the second fintech festival and i would say that um you know crypto with the introduction of of um you know the block show and all the sessions around that i think it has almost got you know real legitimacy around it um the speakers were very high profile i, I really enjoyed the session with the the winklevoss twins and gemini trust i thought that was a very very interesting uh, session they're, they're, they're great speakers and uh, uh, great champions of, of Bitcoin. It, it makes you want to go out and quickly get an account and start trading. Um, and interestingly, the, the, what I got from that is, a, is another catchphrase, institutionalizing um, crypto. 
you know, um, so not just having, um, you know, individuals playing the Bitcoin market, but moving it into the institutional space. So I thought that was a very, very interesting session and, and you know, the, all the sessions around blockchain were, were, were fascinating. Lino, I attended the, the Winklevoss sessions as well on crypto. And of course, for us, um, it, it's all close to our hearts because, of course, we acted for Nakamoto, which is their insurance fund for uh, Gemini. Uh, but one of the things that I heard was they saw the 20,000 level as just the beginning. I think they're famous for having predicted 500,000 as the potential Bitcoin value uh, as a replacement for gold. I, I thought that really, um, uh, that sort of, uh, blew me away. But one thing that really uh, I noticed was this idea around regulatory certainty, that, that, that both of them talked about how the MAS was one of those leading regulators that was giving that confidence, giving that certainty, giving that regulatory acceptance. And very much since their first um, trust license with um, uh, in New York um, and now with, with Singapore, you know, as a crypto player, they're looking for that regulatory certainty. Where do you think we are around that? Do you think we're getting more of that policy clarity, policy acceptance from, from governments and regulators? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're already seeing it here on our home ground with the passing of the Payment Services Act, uh, you know, regulate, regulating digital payment token services. And with uh, already the new uh, iteration, I guess, PSX version 2 uh, coming out soon that will extend you know, regulation of digital tokens. I think, you know, the MAS has been also very actively, um, you know, coming up with, uh, you know, their policy stance um, as, as I guess, industry players identify issues. So, for example, they came up very quickly to talk about, uh, you know, payment token derivatives. And so I think all this, um, you know, quick reaction, um, being uh, open with the industry, engaging with the industry, you know, we certainly engage with MES about, about these uh, new products as well, um, definitely helps, um, you know, uh, give confidence to players, um, whether they are uh, engaging with customers here in Singapore, wanting to set up, I think that's, that's um, you know, uh, a step in the right direction. What's next for a, a year out from now? I think we will have a physical fintech festival again, uh, maybe with a combination of people who can't join us, you know, beaming themselves in maybe a hologram version of the speaker. <laughs> that would be quite cool. Um, but I think, I think, you know, human, human nature is to want to be in the same room, um, to be able to bump into each other in the corridors, you know, fist pump. Um, and so I, I do think that, uh, you know, hopefully this, uh, on pure online, um, sort of, uh, manner of having the fintech festival will be a unique one uh, because I do think there is still value in, in meeting each other, having those quiet moments of coffee, you know, bumping into each other as we, you know, walk from one part of the uh, fintech festival hall to another. So I, I would hope, you know, that that some travel is normalized um, uh, or even if it isn't that that we will be able to have some ability to travel and, and meet each other in person again at uh, 2021 FinTech Festival. I'm Paul Landless, and you've been listening to the Clifford Chance Talking Tech team uh, at the Singapore FinTech Festival. If you want to hear this podcast 
or uh, any of our other podcasts, please just go to our Clifford Chance Talking Tech page. This podcast is not legal advice, so please reach out to us uh, for specific advice on any particular question and we'd be happy to help. Thanks.